0: Hi, this is Lenny Pfeffer, President of the Dorchester County Council, and you're listening to the Maryland Association of Counties Conduit Street Podcast, the source for news and notes on Maryland's policy and politics. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. This is Michael Sanderson taking the mic and the reins today, and I'm happy to be joined by a special guest, um, a longtime friend of mine and a colleague in the county community, Todd Mon. He is the Queen Anne's County Administrator. He's a longtime county engineer, and I'm delighted that you can make some time to join us for the podcast today, Todd. Welcome.
1: Yeah, thank you, Michael. Good to be here.
0: Well, for our listeners, um, let me tee this up a little bit. A couple times over the last few weeks on the podcast, we have made mention of the Train Commission. It's the Transportation Revenue and Infrastructure Needs Commission. Maryland has decided to bring together a lot of stakeholders to talk about transportation projects and funding and so forth, and. We have spent a little bit of time talking about that charge and a little bit about MAKO presenting before that panel and transportation issues generally. And a couple of times we sort of said, let's put a pin in this because we want to talk in a little more detail. So I want to deliver on that today. Uh, Todd is actually one of the appointed members of the Train Commission. And he, along with MAKO President uh, Calvin Ball from, from, uh, uh, from Howard County, the Howard County Executive in 2023 MAKO President. Are members of that commission and have been among the folks who are hip deep in looking at transportation financing, project selection, and so forth. So, we already wanted to get Todd to join the podcast anyway, but layer on top of that, the talk of the town lately has been transportation funding and cutbacks and so forth. This felt like exactly the right time to talk transportation. So, you
1: ready to spend a little time on that, Todd? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me first just say that it was an honor for myself to be selected to be a member of the training commission. It's, uh, it's quite uh, uh, been a good experience for me as a, as a longtime engineer and now county administrator to be recognized by the governor to participate on this very, very important subject matter, you know, for all of the, you know, Maryland residents. So I must say I am, uh, I'm delighted and honored to be a member of the, of the commission. I'm
0: happy to hear that. And I think, Marylanders generally don't realize the time and investment that comes from basically volunteers who commit their time and effort to things like this. Uh, you know, a blue ribbon commission on transportation or a task force to deal with some public safety issue or an advisory panel that oversees some state agency and the services they deliver. There's lots and lots of people who are, in my judgment, unsung heroes for giving sort of citizen-level guidance for lots of things, and sometimes guiding important policy or important services. So hats off to you for contributing your time and expertise, along with a pretty star-studded panel of people from different walks of life and different parts of government and thereabouts. So the the commission's underway. It's got a two-year charge. Let's talk about that in, in a second. But for our listeners' benefit, maybe not everybody knows what a county administrator is and does. So can you give us a little bit of the ABCs on your role with Queen Anne's County government and how you got there from, from your beginnings on the
1: public works and county engineer side? Well, certainly uh, being the county administrator has a, a tremendous amount of facets uh, as, as anybody can can imagine. I mean, it's, I've got uh, 10 to 10 very uh, different departments uh the former county government here and of course uh various outside agencies uh that have to sort of manage budgetarily including the sheriff's office uh the, of course the big gorilla the board of education and that's a, a story for another day we know what's <laughs> what's happening there with the uh, the Kerwin Commission. So that's that's everyone's big gorilla right now. But public works, you know, prepared me ideally for for this role because of my uh background and knowledge of the county as a whole, I was thirty you know I've been here in Queen Annes County now going on thirty two years um uh, most of those were with the Department of Public Works you know I came up through the ranks through the uh, the roads division I was deputy director and then director of Public Works for uh over ten years and uh it prepared me very well because I got to interact with all the other agencies and departments within within the government and you know now as the as the as the county administrator, I have the um the opportunity now to work and mentor and develop all of these departments so we can achieve, you know, common, you know, county objectives that are given to me from the leadership of my county commissioners. And we do have a great group here of county commissioners, I will say that, in, in Queen Anne's County. Uh, so there's a lot of different facets. Um Currently, we're also working uh, on, as another example, outside of Public Works, uh, a regional detention center, which is uh, another cutting-edge project uh, for the state of Maryland where we're going to try to regionalize three different counties together and uh, and build a a regional detention facility to suit uh, to suit this area. So and, and save hopefully, uh, you know, millions of dollars for the, the taxpayers of Maryland.
0: So All right. So I think that that context is helpful. You you got promoted out of the public works universe and now you're the big picture guy. I mean, I've I've been a guest sometimes before your county commissioners and you sit at you know sort of alongside the county commissioners as the elected county commissioners serve in that sort of dual role as a legislative body, but also in an administrative capacity. And you're the COO or chief administrative officer, the, the, the county agencies report through you and you offer guidance to them and so forth. So it's a it's a big role. I know Mako as an organization, we rely really heavily on the county administrators, especially in the medium and small size counties. Um, We can rely on the county administrators to be the person to go to and say, hey, wait, are you having this trouble with animal control? Because one of your neighboring counties is, we'd like to put them in touch if you can help them. And the the county administrator is frequently the Jack or Jill of all trades to be able to say, who do I talk to, right?
1: (laughs) So that's that's absolutely right. We have all kinds of complaints and uh you know, anything from parks and rec to animal bites, uh, animal control, uh, community services, you know, public safety, our detention facility, police, you know, force, sheriff's department. So it's it's a wide, wide range um, of things. Um, and as I mentioned to the uh, the big gorilla, the Board of Education, we do have a great relationship with our board. But uh, as we know, that's uh, that's a huge part of our annual budget and uh, and growing, obviously, because of right. uh, the Kerwin Commission uh, blueprint coming forward. Right, right.
0: Mm-hmm. So, all right. So that, that sets the stage a little bit. And I, I, know, I know I would rem- be remiss if I missed an opportunity to give props to the other affiliate of ours that you still have connections with, the County Engineers Association of Maryland. Um, that, that's a group that, that's really active, and engaged on behalf of their members with, with educational opportunities and so forth. Every once in a while, the MAKO staff and sometimes I get a chance to to speak to that group about a policy issue or legislative matters and so forth. But that's a good group to work with. And your name's got to be on plaques all over that group, because I know you've got a long history with CM, right?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give a nice shout out to the County Engineers Association of Maryland. It's been a wonderful group. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have been uh, selected and elected as the, the president of the County Engineers Association of Maryland in my tenure with them, not once, but twice and uh, over my tenure there and it's it's a wonderful team uh members all over the state and i will say that uh unlike uh, county administration county administration county administrators county execs mm-hmm. typically the public works guys they you know literally have decades of experience and they usually stay in their jobs for 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 decades on end um you know county execs county administrators sometimes come and go a little more quickly than uh yeah. than public works guys but it's a great group I'm still active with them uh, and we have great conferences twice a year. So it's, uh, yep. I got my roots there. So yeah, thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I'll tell you, I'm amazed when sometimes I hear from other states that the county engineer is one of those elected row officer positions they elect like the the county auditor and coroner and all these other positions but like county engineer sounds like exactly the sort of role where having a 14-year veteran who's been there and done that like, just serves you so well and anyway not, not to cast dispersions on our, our friendly sister hmm. states we have that other model but i'm, I'm glad we can rely on, on on a group like cm here so all right, so let's let's get to the issue of the moment. I wanted to talk about transportation and funding and planning and so forth. So I'll set the stage and kind of back into the train commission. You know, at, at the moment we just came off Mako's big winter conference. We just had our big event with hundreds of people gathered in Dorchester County and talking about the issues of the day. And you know, we planned an agenda weeks and months in advance. But lo and behold, the, the the governor and the Department of Transportation make an announcement right before our conference. We're going to have to do a bunch of serious belt tightening in transportation that made that sort of the talk of the town. And up and down the hallways, everybody's talking about transportation cuts and what it would mean to their county. And one of the first questions I kept hearing was, well, I thought there was this blue ribbon panel that was supposed to come up with all the answers on transportation. Now, that's probably not fair. but, But let's start there. You're a member of the train commission. That's a group that was appointed with a two year charge. to to try and dig into these financing issues and what are the needs and what are, you know, what are the cost drivers and so forth. Um, That group doesn't feel like it's quite ready to handle, Hey, we've got all the solutions to everything. Their target was sort of the end of next year, not this November, December. Is that
1: right? That's absolutely correct. But the the governor did request an interim report at the end of the first year, which we, you know, we uh, um, discussed that and debated uh, the recommendations on that just yesterday so we, we provided that to the governor based on his request. but yeah, we have a whole nother year to kind of dig into the details. Um, if you watched any of that uh, presentation that meeting yesterday, you can you can sort of get the flavor that we you know a lot of the members were a little hesitant to be as specific about some of the recommendations. So we were able to sort of you know generalize some of those. but it comes down to where where are we going to come up with the the additional monies necessary to take care of all of Maryland's transportation needs? Which includes, you know, transit, highways, um, you know, the airport, the ports. There, there's a the, the the modal administration at MDOT is is huge, and they have a huge budget, also a huge you know budget shortfall currently because of uh, of, of of costs and uh, the lack of gasoline sales, which has peaked. We believe that the gasoline tax, which largely funds the transportation trust fund, has peaked out uh, in the year 2019, so that's on the decline. And um with uh, EV sales, you know, uh, electric vehicles and plug-in sales and more efficient, you know, cars in general, you know, we're using less uh fossil fuels. You know, gasoline tax is already fairly high at 47 cents. So we're looking at ways to to manage the budget going forward. And, and we, you know, we got into it. Uh we've only been meeting uh since um, earlier this year. We've got four, five meetings now. So we have a whole nother, you know, year to sort of formulate and refine those um. Those recommendations, but so we're uh, more to come on that for sure. Yeah, and we'll,
0: and we'll see those recommendations, and and they may potentially lead to action by the General Assembly. Um, you know, this commission was charged with make some recommendations on areas they should focus on, and as as you mentioned, I I did watch the the decision meeting earlier this week from the from the train commission, and and the, you know the members kind of worked their way to consensus on a variety of things. We did we did some little navel-gazing on this podcast several weeks ago about that interesting policy issue of how do you gather revenue from electric vehicles if the, the user-pays model is embodied by motor fuel taxes. And years ago, it was like, hey, if you're on the road, you're burning gas, you pay tax on your gas, and that's basically your fee for using the public roads that we're going to have to patch up because of your driving on that. And philosophically, I think lots of voters and taxpayers feel like that's pretty good policy you know for the most part the user bears the responsibility for the maintenance and operation all that kind of stuff so that makes sense but that logic starts to break down as you have more and more vehicles on the road who don't use motor fuel or use way less Um, and some of them are even heavy vehicles with those big batteries inside the electric vehicles Um, they may even be doing more wear and tear on the roads i just i think it's a fascinating policy question. And you know, sadly, my kids have to hear me talk about this sort of thing. I find it fascinating. Our podcast listeners, hopefully they find it fascinating. And the commission you know, sort of wrestled with that. I guess the General Assembly will take it up as well to say, say what to do there. So, so train commission is looking at the big picture stuff and probably on target to have some big picture recommendations around this time next year. But that doesn't tend to what apparently the State Department of Transportation sees as we've got to act now because we've got a big shortfall in the six-year plan ahead of us. As uh, for, for folks who are not Annapolis insiders, the, the Department of Transportation notoriously releases at various times of the year a draft and then a final consolidated transportation plan that sort of these are the big projects that we have planning for funding for and we're going to you know the money's going to show up in this year and so forth and sort of a moving six year window of what's on target and we're short i mean you know all, all those conspiring factors the the the, the softness of the gas tax revenue and cost inflation and just existing projects and you know probably other emerging projects that are going to weasel their way in and become high priorities you end up with we're upside down in the six year plan and you can't just wait it out and solve the problem three years deep. So we're okay. looking at budget cuts and, and I'm, I'm interested in having you put on your other hat as a, as a County leader, the County administrator, who's helping to, you know, helping to build the priorities for a, for a local government. You want to maintain, keep your roads safe and, and maintain and so forth. Um, in the governor and de- and department's plan, we see, lo and behold, there's a cutback to highway user revenues. Now, not everybody who's listening to the podcast is going to know what that means, but the super short version is Queen Anne's County and the other local governments, we don't have any transportation revenues. There are some states where there are local gas taxes or you get money on the license plate or other things like that. But in Maryland, everything is gathered by the state, and then there are distributions back to the locals to take care of the, the lion's share of the roads that we maintain. I, I think last time we counted, it was like 83% of, the, of the, the road miles are maintained by local governments, not the state. They used to send 30 cents on the dollar, most of those state transportation revenues, back to the cities and counties um you were in queen anne's county back in 2009 when we had some summertime blues the great recession was upon us the state made a really deep cut there do you remember what that was like and the the sort of fallout of losing so much of our highway user revenues
1: well i certainly remember that they aren't fond memories but it was uh, it was a terrible time it was really was it was a terrible time for us because before that i mean we enjoyed uh Every year, we got money from the state, the highway user revenues, which is largely gasoline, motor fuel tax. We received that, and it had to be used um, for highway maintenance, period. And we had to right. sign, sign a statement every year, back send it back to the MDOT saying, I attest that I used every penny in road maintenance. I couldn't use it for anything else except for highway maintenance. And we we had a substantial uh, budget. We had a great workforce. I had about 65 employees and we did everything from soup to nuts on our on our road system we built new roads we replaced bridges we bought equipment i mean the the highway user revenue source the funding from the state completely 100 provided us enough revenue to maintain the 565 miles of county roadways that we right. had in queen county at that time yeah. uh, then you know we we got wind that you know we were going to see some cutbacks uh, that happened, um, you know, a few years prior to that, and the state sort of paid that back. But this time, we weren't so sure. It was about a ninety or ninety-five percent cut, and we we sort of knew it was coming, and we we fought it. I think mean, you and I and some of your colleagues yeah. think, uh, went down to the general assembly those years, and you know, screamed, you know, we can't survive without you know the HURs. We can't survive these cuts. And uh, lo and behold, um, well, we all know the story. They they cut the money anyway. Um, the one little piece of saving grace that helped for a a period of a a year or two was back then we had, uh, I think it was called uh, stimulus or era money. It was some federal got pushed down to the counties that, you know, bought us a little bit of time and allowed us uh, here in Queen Anne's and I'm sure other jurisdictions to keep the workforce on. We got some money, you know, that took us a couple of years. We spent all our reserves that we had. And then, you know, it came to be a doomsday. So we here in Queen Anne's County, we had to we had to actually lay lay off members of the workforce. We had uh, early out packages so we could reduce, you know, the workforce in that fashion. And it was painful. It was painful. So the roads Division at that time, I was the chief Reds engineer during that time period. And uh, we went from uh, a workforce of 65 down to about 30, which. Wow. Uh, You know, greatly curtailed our ability to uh, do things that our citizens, you know, really enjoyed and and frankly demand. I mean, we have to maintain our roads, cut the grass, keep the drainage flowing, all the things, pick up trash. And uh, it was a struggle for many, many years. In fact, we had we had one policy that we that we developed, um, you know, for snow removal. um, And it was it was uh, the public destroyed us on it, really, because we said, well, we're not going to even come out with a snow plow until there's three inches of snow on the ground on the roadways. And it was just, uh, it was horrible. I mean, people just crucified us. So, um, you know, we slowly had to integrate uh, and provide for, um, you know, for those services through the general fund, through the general tax base, which is, isn't really a road user charge, it's property taxes, to to fortify, you know, the, the roads operations. But, uh, but since that time, you know, we've slowly, slowly clawed back uh, with the help of um, you know general fund revenues to uh, to provide services, and we're still not back uh, to that level where we were in the heyday of uh, highway user revenues prior to those huge cuts. Unfortunately, so we we still have things that we can't do as far as road construction, uh, bridge construction. So we're um, we're sorry about that, but we are we, we are gaining some ground were, but now, now we're looking at some more, some more cuts. We felt like we were kind of getting back and hope, hoping that HUR would sort of get restored, at least if not fully, you know, to a, to a point where we could maintain. But, uh, these, these cuts, you know, couldn't come at a worse time for us. Yeah. And that, that narrative,
0: is exactly like that's the mother load of what I wanted to bring to the podcast. That that you haven't been there. You're the boots on the ground, but haven't seen what it meant to the to the workforce. The number of projects you could do and the number of things that you could tend to on behalf of the residents was just wiped out, as I recall. You know, you were you were exactly right. That the, the state made a cut during the legislative session. They said you guys are going to lose a hundred, and then it turned into like hundred and sixty million bucks, and we sort of didn't say yes but we said hey if, if if like a year or two of losses in uh, to, of that magnitude is what it takes to get through this great recession and that's our part we get it i mean we don't like it but we get it and then it was the legislature goes home the budget is passed and it's it's something like the first of august the the brand new fiscal year has just kicked off and everybody already had their belt tightening yeah you know, losing 160 million bucks was a big loss and then suddenly, the board of public works hears this proposal. We're going to take ninety percent of what's left, and it left, you know, like Queen Anne's County is down to something like seven cents on the dollar, of, of where they had been in a budget that you've already you've already passed, right? Um, it, it, it was, I mean, the timing was awful. The consequences were awful, and the fact that it wasn't just a hey, one or two years of suffering, then we'll be back on track, is is the perverse twist here that this wasn't put right back like a lot of things were following the big recession it turned out they shuffled the deck around and so forth and and ended up redirecting those dollars to state transportation needs and we've been just clawing our way back i think you know the latest plan from a couple of years ago was going to get the counties up to around 30 cents on the dollar that doesn't sound great, right? That's just a couple of first downs for the Ravens. That's not a touchdown. That's not even a field goal. That's just, you know, a couple of catches, right? But yeah. the 30 yard line is better than the three yard line. So we're making some progress moving in the right direction. And now I don't, I'm going to torture this analogy, but now this is like the penalty that calls back the last winning play. You know, we, we, you know, we got second and 15. Um, I, I, I don't know what the, what we do here, but. That's what this means for the local governments, for the proposal on the table to say, we're going to, we're not going to be able to take the next step with highway user, even though there was this big bipartisan consensus to do it just a couple of years ago is, I don't know, I saw it on social media media as a gut punch. And that's, that's, that's not an unfair phrasing, I think.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, it's devastating for us because we felt like we were gaining some ground and now now we hear that even even state highway is has threatened and done some saber rattling and say, well, we're not going to mow as much grass, we're not going to pick up trash on the state roads, and you know folks folks aren't going to like that very much when that starts to happen, and they're going to cry to the local elected officials, my bosses, my my leadership, yeah. and uh, they're going to want answers. Just, what's going on here? Why why can't we get these uh, these state roads? You know, the grass cut and and keep them maintained, looking nice, but. Uh, it's, it's going to be challenging for all of us going forward. There's no question about it.
0: Yeah, we, we put some information on the, the, the Conduit Street blog on the MAKO website with sort of a QA and a style walkthrough of where do these cuts come from? How do they affect the counties differently and so forth? And tried to put some context around that. But the thing that I couldn't do in writing that up was the narrative of what this meant when this happened in in August of 2009. It was was the Great Recession, and a a lot of services were temporarily cut back because the governments tend to be counter-cyclical, and revenues dry up during a recession, but then a lot more people show up at your health clinic they show up on Medicaid. They show up asking for assistance with rental you know, rental assistance and other things like that. Bad economies make for higher demand, but lower supply of services. And it's just, it's a really tough spot. We tend to be in weird, weird decision-making in that environment, but the best way out of it is you patch up the things you messed up when you had the, you know, the, the couple of tough years. In this case, they really just never did that. And I guess dialing way, way back further, it wasn't like this share of highway user revenues going back to counties and cities. That wasn't a new idea. That's been around for as long as I've been on this planet. I think you know the the, the gas tax and the distribution through highway user revenue goes back to the late 1960s. So it, it was decades and decades of this is the fair way to do things. Baltimore City has this one-of-a-kind charge where they take care of almost all the state roads in Baltimore sure. City. You know, they're on an island unto themselves but the other counties and cities have this big responsibility you said how many how many road miles in queen Annes again
1: uh five, about 565 right now currently which as you mentioned earlier it's about 80 percent of the 85 percent of yeah. the roads in our county are our county local roadways that we we are uh, obligated to maintain for our constituents here in, in the county right that's 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 no small
0: undertaking and and like you've like you've woven into your thoughts here, like this is stuff people really care about. If you can't plow the street, if you can't patch the pothole, you know, those are things that get people get on the horn, they get mad, they'll call their senator, they'll call their county commissioner, they'll call the governor, all that stuff happens, because this is quality of life stuff. Um, Anyway, we know that tough fiscal times make for difficult decisions. And it's not like, it's not like the governor set out to say, let's, let's sting the local government's first and hardest. I don't think this is that case. We weren't singled out for, you know, peculiar and unusual treatment. They're cutting back in all their different modes and so forth. So they're proposing difficulty in every part of transportation, but boy, are we going to feel this at the local level on the roads that get you home?
1: There's no question about it. And the one thing about local government is that we're, we're right here, right next to our constituents and boots on the ground, as you put it. And, uh, we hear from our constituents loud and clear. My leadership, my commissioners get those phone calls. They see these people, you know, when they go to the grocery store and they go shopping and they ask questions and they don't understand why we can't do what we've, what we, what they need, what they demand us to do as far as maintaining our our highway system, providing other services, police, fire, public safety, community services, you know, all those things. You know, having nice parks. I mean, some something has to give. We can't do everything. Uh, in light of of, of funding cutbacks, uh, and especially at a time like this, um, right?
0: Yeah, that's that, that's well put. That's the conundrum, and I don't I don't think anybody you know loves this. I don't I don't think the Department of Transportation is delighted to be making calls to local leaders and to other stakeholders and talking about the the array of cuts they've got on the table. There's nothing easy about this, so I've got sympathy for them, but um, I also have sympathy for the folks who are trying to maintain properly maintain safe roads locally and, and, and finding a oh boy, know yeah, that, that leg of the stool is looking softer than it was. So, yeah. Um, so let me take a moment, as we were trying to get you on the podcast, um, you were sending emails from faraway locations. I know you took some personal time uh, away from away from the county, away from the job, and did some traveling internationally. So while I've got you on, I can't help but ask, I, I'm I'm guessing you're a little bit like me, and wherever you go and whatever you do, you still kind of wear the hat of the shop a little bit with you. So as you were out in far corners of the globe, is there anything that you take back, or that you saw with your county administrator eyes, or with even with your county engineer eyes, that might be interesting to share with a an audience of podcast listeners who like policy and politics?
1: Well, it's funny you ask that because we uh, we had a wonderful trip. Uh, my wife and some friends uh, we went to uh, to Southeast Asia. We flew from uh, New York City to Singapore. and We were there for about a week, and then off to uh, to Bali in Indonesia, but. I will say that in Singapore, which is a city, country, state, right. and, um, a tremendous transportation system there as far as transit goes. I mean, they have subways. You can go anywhere for, you know, you just get on the subway, click your, you know, your Apple Pay phone to get on and ride anywhere in the city. It's 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 it's, it's wonderful. It's state of the art, probably one of the best in the country. But as far as transportation and vehicles and roads, the roads are beautiful and and well-maintained and there's no congestion, so I, I I had to ask some friends that I knew there why this is, and and basically over there, if you want to buy a, a motor vehicle in Singapore, it's I'll give you the analogy. It's like buying a PSL license for a Ravens, you know, stadium. You <laughs> want to buy what they call a certificate of entitlement, right? You buy that, and the government only issues so many of those in the in the whole country so they're they're hard to come by so uh a general certificate of entitlement costs about seventy six thousand dollars. holy smokes holy smokes is right <laughs> you got gonna buy a car now that's for like a four-cylinder engine if you go with a v8 it costs more so needless to say there weren't very many corvettes over there i did see two in my week uh in in singapore but um a Toyota Prius over there, fully loaded with uh, with the certificate of entitlement, is about $220,000 for the local folks. So most people only have one car like I had in my family when I was growing up. We had one, you know, Chevrolet uh, <laughs> uh, uh, station wagon, right, that we had to share around with my mom and my dad. But uh, quite different over there. Not as many cars. I think the per capita uh, vehicle count in-, in Singapore is about one hundred and fifty per thousand, where here – in US it's about you know 1 to 1 it's about a 1000 per 1000 right. so you see the difference and and that's how they control not only congestion but provide you know certainly uh, adequate revenues to maintain their their transportation system over there and right. I, I almost failed to mention the certificate of entitlement your PSL license for your seat it expires in 10 years so oh, you, you got to go back <laughs> got to go back and renew that every 10 years so it's it's uh it's a pretty expensive endeavor to own a car uh, and and Singapore,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, and Singapore presents a whole different density tier than even even the like built up parts of of Kent Island as a component of Queen Anne's County. There's nothing that approaches. Almost no place on the planet has the same kind of density and and urban suburban flow as as the city state of Singapore. As I understand it, it's skyscrapers everywhere, and it's it's bordering on looking like Blade Runner. I've never been. It's on the list of places I'd really love to visit. though.
1: Yeah, I would encourage you to go. It's a wonderful city. It's very clean. It's very safe. Uh, the subway system is is immaculate. It's multi levels. There are supermarkets, you know, below the street levels that you wouldn't even know were there till you get out hmm. of the. Subway. And it's just, it's a delightful multicultural place and uh, lots to see and do. All
0: right. Well, thanks for the field report. Um, you know, we, we, we send a, we spend a lot of time, you know, navel gazing and talking about Annapolis and sometimes we get as far as Princess Anne, but, and sometimes we get as far as Guam. We are, we're big on Guam, but we, this is our first report from the field in Singapore. So that that's, that's good. It's expanding our horizons. I love it.
1: Well, I'm I, um, happy to do that. Happy to provide that insight. It was a wonderful trip. Yeah. Well,
0: glad to hear, and I hope you got a got a good uh, relaxation time as well as uh, getting kick around and look at public infrastructure. Hey, Todd, thanks so much for carving out some time uh, talking to us and to our listeners. Um, we love getting into policy and politics and all this kind of stuff. And You've been in the middle of all this stuff as the administrator of one of our counties, but also as a stakeholder in this Transportation Commission. Uh, we'll stay in touch with you and with the commission going forward. All those issues are going to be important. And the proposed budget cuts are not a done deal. Some of this stuff has to go through the legislative process. So we've got a debate ahead on all that sort of stuff. This is a live and continuing issue. Todd, thanks so much for joining today. My My pleasure,
1: Michael. Thank you very much.
0: Folks, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Conduit Street Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and subscribe. That way you'll get every episode sent right to the device of your choice. Follow Mako on social media. That's the Conduit Street blog. And of course, all the various places where you can find your clicks and your tweets and your follows and all that sort of stuff. Are we still doing tweets? I don't know. Anyway, so with that, I'm Michael Sanderson thanking Todd Munn, and we will talk to you soon.